0: Thanks for listening to the Jazz Joe Show podcast today on the pod. When is an apology sincere? Haltzick First Nations reject the Vancouver Police Department's apology after arresting officers or a no-show. Plus, it usually takes months into the season for the Vancouver Canucks to disappoint fans. But with the team still looking for its first win, can the season be salvaged? And Ken Sim will soon be sworn in as Vancouver Mayor. We get an update on the transition and what we can expect in the weeks to come. That's all next on the Jazz Joe Show podcast. Let's look at our top story today. A British Columbia First Nations says two Vancouver police officers uh, have never apologized in person to Maxwell Johnson and his granddaughter who were wrongfully arrested at a bank three years ago uh, in Vancouver. The Hultsick Nation said it cancelled an apology ceremony yesterday, as you probably heard on our news, after the Vancouver police officers who wrongly arrested two of their members to show up. Now nearly twenty high-ranking Vancouver police officers and police board members, including Chief Adam Palmer, came bearing gifts to host what was set to be an apology feast in the Helpsic Nation community of Bella Bella yesterday. But a gift and the apology were rejected instead uh, the hereditary chief Frank Brown called out chief Adam Palmer for his previous comments claiming there's no systemic racism in Canadian policing hereditary chief Brown also returned a gift from Vancouver police take a listen
1: that was
0: illegal we couldn't hire lawyers to fight for our rights
2: it was legislated against us discriminatory racist policy that was on our throats trying to destroy our people to disconnect us from our land which we own under our rights and title inherent this isn't good enough to hide behind the separation of these individual actions and the institution is protecting and the racism is being sheltered and condoned if you don't hold individuals accountable
0: That was Holt Secretary Chief Frank Brown uh, yesterday speaking to Adam Palmer, Chief Adam Palmer, and 19 other high-ranking police officers who were in the community of Bella Bella. Now, Johnson was arrested alongside his 12-year-old granddaughter in December of 2019 after a bank employee phoned police mistakenly suspecting they were using fake status cards to open a bank account. Both were placed, get this now, in handcuffs while standing on the sidewalk In front of the bank. Now the apology ceremony was part of a settlement agreement between Johnson uh, and the Vancouver Police Board. Uh, The uh, Haltzik Nation says the absence of Constables Cannon Wong and Mitchell Tong is another hurtful chapter in Johnson's long journey to address the discriminations he and his granddaughter faced. Uh, Global Nationals Nitu Garcha was in Bella Bella yesterday and she files this story.
1: Members of the Vancouver Police Board and department arriving at the small airport in Bella Bella BC Monday afternoon for a big moment in a high-profile case of discrimination. They've traveled to the remote community which is home to Maxwell Johnson and his granddaughter Tori Ann. The pair was wrongfully arrested outside of Vancouver branch after trying to open a bank account. For nearly 3 years they've been awaiting an apology from the arresting officers.
3: It has been confirmed that uh, they did not uh uh, make their way up here today for the apology ceremony. When a colonial institution seeks to reconcile and and to begin reconcilia- reconciliation together, it is a prerequisite that they show respect for our customs and engage directly with our communities.
4: When we do a ceremony, it's, they got to be here in order to for it to be finished. So having them not here, it just it's like a roadblock to us now.
1: Tori Ann was just 12 years old when the December 2019 incident happened. A bank staff member suspected them of presenting fraudulent Indigenous status cards and called 911. According to a discipline decision, Constable Canon Wong and Mitchell Tong recklessly used unnecessary force, committed professional misconduct, and assumed fraud without sufficient information. A groundbreaking settlement agreement announced last month includes $100,000 in funding to Helsinki Nation's Restorative Justice Department.
4: It would have been such an honour to have those police officers here to see this house and to see what we do and how we carry on our culture.
1: Monday's ceremony is also part of the conditions of two separate human rights complaint settlements with the bank and police board, as this case continues to spark national conversations on racial profiling and changes in handcuffing policies.
0: That is Global National's Nitu Garcha. Now, as uh, Nitu said, the apology ceremony is a part of a settlement agreement reached between Johnson and the police board. It also included an undisclosed financial award to Johnson and the development of a plan to improve police training on anti-indigenous racism and cultural humility. Now, the Vancouver Police Board in a statement said it is the respondent in the human rights case launched by Johnson, not the individual uh, constables. Uh, the Vancouver Police Board spokesperson, Faye Whiteman, did speak to uh, Simi Sarah this morning on her show, and uh, they, they talked. Ms. Whiteman talked about how the police board felt about officers not coming.
1: I think that I understand why the two officers did not go. The board is the respondent on the human rights case, not the officers. So um, in keeping with the terms of the settlement, we made our best efforts to, uh, for the officers to attend, inviting them, making reservations, that sort of thing. But I can understand why they might have been somewhat reluctant to face the onslaught, quite frankly, of the media uh, in terms of coming up. They were aware that uh, a week ago that the officers were not coming up.
0: Now, Ms. Whiteman also um, talked about, of course, the apology ceremony with Simi Sarah, And uh, she was asked on the possibility if, if there could be another apology ceremony, because obviously yesterday uh, the two constables did not arrive. Here's Miss Whiteman's uh, comments.
1: Well, certainly the officers did apologize at the time uh, of the incident, and they have issued a written apology as well. And they indicated all along they would be willing to meet with the family, with the, the um, both the grandfather and the young girl and uh with the family members and offer that apology so sure it it may be possible that they're still willing to do that
0: now it's interesting as i was uh, reading about the story this morning uh the police union uh feels that look uh, they're the respondent not the officers the officers clearly concerned uh, that national media may be there will be there uh, and they didn't want their faces and names uh, certainly their faces on television potentially in the newspaper Uh, Then you, of course, have the Halsik First Nation itself, uh, who raised a very important issue here in regards to racial profiling and regards to Mr. Johnson and, of course, his granddaughter, 13 years old. I have a a son who's 13 years old. If uh, he was at a bank and ended up handcuffed over in this case, which was a status card, uh, I would be livid too. I think any parent would be livid. So my question to you today is when – When we talk about apologies, particularly in an era of reconciliation, when is an apology an apology? Uh, What should we be doing as a society to deal with issues like this? The Vancouver Police Department and its uh, chief were there, but clearly uh, they didn't read the room. They did not recognize the importance of that ceremony to the Hultzik people. Uh, And uh, this uh, is a story, an issue that's not going to go away. I want to hear from you in regards to how do we deal with, with issues like this, which are real and hurtful, in this case, a uh, grandfather and his granddaughter went in to open an account in a bank, and somehow, somehow, they end up handcuffed. That is a commentary on how we need to do better collectively society, or police departments need to do better. Economists are forecasting yet another interest rate hike from the Bank of Canada uh, as the central bank continues its fight against uh, runaway inflation. Economists are expecting uh, some, or some economists are expecting to say all a 75 basis point increase from the central bank uh, on Wednesday. Uh, This hike would bring the benchmark rate to four percent, a level not seen since the 2008-2009 financial crisis. Others are saying 50 uh, basis points. So it'll be very interesting in regards to what happens. But of course. Many of you out there with mortgages, uh, some with variable rate mortgages, some perhaps looking for mortgages. Um, it is a, a trying and testing time for a lot of folks out there, and, and the surveys out there are showing a lot of that already. Joining you know me mean now to talk a little bit about interest rates and the rise and, and what you can do to protect yourself and make the right decision is Peter Shesheki, registered financial planner and president of the Everything Financial Group. Good afternoon, Peter. Good afternoon, Jazz. Missed you last week. You were taking some holiday time, I guess. <laughs> yes, I was just for a couple of days, you know. And uh, back at it again, my friend. And uh, this is a, probably you know topic number one. There's a lot of issues we cover on this show, but it always comes back to the the pocketbook. Uh, now, with these interest rate changes, uh, what kind of questions are you hearing from uh, your customers and just people looking for advice?
5: Well, the, the the questions are a lot of them. Is should I change because? This is definitely what I'm about to say is the exception, definitely not the norm, but there's a, there's a small, a very small, let me just stress that, very small group of mortgage people out there who are putting the fear into people, the fear of God, as they always say, the old saying, right, mm-hmm. that rates are on their way and they're going to hit the rates of 81, of 18%. Even though you just changed your mortgage last year to lock in for five years, these are gonna go on for quite some time. You better lock in again, and you better pay those fees and change it again. They don't call it paying fees, so they have different language for that. But but that's going on. So you have to know the right questions to ask to make, make sure you don't fall victim to a change that you
0: shouldn't make. So what questions are they that you should be asking?
5: Well, well first thing you should ask if they're, in a lot of cases, refinancing is good, don't get me wrong. But mm. first thing you should ask is obviously, what are the fees going to be to refinance? This is this should come at the beginning, not down the at the end when you've already gone down the rabbit hole and it's like and you can't back out or you feel you can't back out because you're kind of put in a corner. Mm-hmm. What are the fees? One of the most common terms you'll hear is well there are no fees, you can just blend and extend. Well, blend and extend means take your rate you're paying, take the new rate, they blend it together so you're paying all the fees and the interest rate differential over the life of the mortgage. It's being blended into the mortgage mm-hmm. and extended for the term of the, the the new mortgage, so you are still paying a fee. That's the one thing you should ask. Next thing, what's the commission I'm gonna pay? Now, you know me about commissions and fees, et cetera, and we go on a soapbox all the time. Mm-hmm. What I didn't round out, they do have to disclose this, but I didn't know when they do it. They do have to disclose what the commission is, But it's not till the very end of the process, and again, by then, it's too late. So instead, I thought of this. When you're talking to a mortgage person, and I said a lot of great ones out there, one on your your station actually is a great one, but why not ask the commission for all the different products right at the beginning? So what's the commission for a a home equity? What's the commission for a one-year, a two-year, a three-year? And you'll be shocked to find out the difference from one year up, up to five year. Mm-hmm. So why not, just like when you get a quote for your car to get repaired or anything else, why not know the fee before it's too late and there's no going back?
0: Hmm. On the issue of uh, blend and extend, uh, is there a good time to, to look at something like that?
5: Well, one of the best mortgages to look at doing or making a change to locked in is, is if you have a variable, because a variable mortgage are still about the most popular mortgages. Uh Um, Variable rate, nine times out of 10, in nine years out of 10 years, you're still going to come out way ahead. Even if if this, with these rate increases, yeah, you're paying a little more now, but over the life of it, you're going to still pay less. But you could take that mortgage and, and switch to a mortgage for whatever the balance of the term is. Say you have two and a half years left they can lock you in for two and a half years. So that actually isn't even really blending and extending there. You're just um, locking in for the balance of the term with some fixed rate that might allow you to sleep at night. The blend and extend, you can get just about any good registered financial planner can actually put it in a piece of software Mm -hmm. and figure out the cost for you. So there's nothing wrong with doing it. It's a question of knowing the numbers and do they make sense to you. That's the key.
0: Is there... um Pressure right now on customers, on people, even by the industry itself, to do something, and sometimes you shouldn't be doing anything or as you say, researching it. is there a greater pressure right now to to actually do
3: something?
5: yep, lots of lots of fear factor pressure out there right now for people to make changes. Um, remember for the you know we talk about the big banks or the big big mortgage institutions, it's a commission driven business, and right now is a Again, not the majority, the minority, an opportunistic time to put a bit of fear into people to make a change that maybe they shouldn't make. Because you know what? You can ride this. We are seeing inflation go down. So the interest rate hikes the front-loading Bank of Canada is doing is having the desired effect. But, it, people, it doesn't happen overnight. Each bank rate takes about 12 to 15 months before we feel the effect on inflation. Mm-hmm. So maybe you just look at what's best for you, which is maybe a two-year... Um, period for your mortgage till we get back to more realistic, normal level rates. Um, So buy yourself time, but start making a mortgage part of your plan, not a product purchase. Uh,
0: Normal rates, you think 2024 is when we uh, sort of land safely, hopefully, if everything works out?
5: Yeah, yeah, I do. And we'll start to see a lot of changes in later 2023, early 2024, see some changes by later 2024. And normal rates aren't those rates we had during COVID? Because as we've, you and I have talked about many times, mm-hmm. they went, and, and, and economists, not me, like, you know, like economists out there who talk all the time said, man, these rates shouldn't be this low. We all said, we're, by bringing rates this low, we've got inflation coming around the corner. Everyone predicted it, who's not in the government, who does this for a living, and now you reap what you sow, and now we're getting the inflation factor from other factors too. Um, so we're going to get a more normal Bank of Canada rate, hopefully, when this all settles out, not some artificially low rate to prop up numbers and prop up, you know, artificially make
0: the economy look better. Yeah, absolutely. Peter, thank you so much for your time, my friend. Thanks, Chad. Welcome back. and We'll talk to you next week. If you were reading Vancouver is Awesome or any of the uh, Glacier Media products out there, local papers, you would have noticed a story that was filed a few hours ago by journalist Graham Wood. Uh, The story focuses on B.C. mayors wanting sunshine laws to tackle corruption and transparency. Graham Wood, who is a reporter for Glacier Media, joins me now. Hello, Graham. Chuck. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, my friend. Thank you for your time on this issue. And I think it's an important one. You know, when I, my time as MLA, I've always felt, you know, some people may disagree with me, but generally conflict of interest rules and what you have to disclose as an MLA and what you're doing, it, the, the laws are actually very good, in my opinion. Yeah, you could quibble over some things need to be strengthened, some things are a little too too tough. But I always found the, find the Wild West, in my opinion, is city council and city hall and that those uh, rules need to be strengthened. Now, talk a little bit about your article. Uh, I understand you spoke to Brenda Locke. What would these sunshine laws do specifically? What kind of things are we talking about?
6: Right. Well, Brenda Locke was uh, elected uh, following the term of Doug McCallum. So, mm-hmm. He's obviously identified a lot of problems that occurred um i observed a lot of problems kind of some concerns about how democracy was you know being undertaken uh in that four-year term um so I, I took it upon myself to talk to her about uh you know how how can uh her new uh term improve upon you know sort of uh access uh for the public and as well as just um laws that could prevent what happened uh, or what, perce- what was perceived to have happened uh, from occurring again. So Brenda is pledging, at least, um, to reinstate the ethics commissioner. And that is sort of a um, uh, like a provincial uh, conflict of interest commissioner. Um, she's also wanting to introduce whistleblower uh, bylaws and also a municipal uh, lobbyist registry, among other things.
0: And that would be specific, obviously, to Surrey, but is she asking for the provincial government to be, because ultimately the senior level government is is the, is the province, municipalities are answerable to the province. Would she be lobbying or asking for a, a, y, a sort of a, a province-wide uh, strengthening, strengthening of the rules?
6: Yeah, so there's certain things that a city can do, obviously within their, their constraints and their budgets. Surrey's um, digging up that it have uh, some of these perks. Uh, we see Vancouver, which operates under a different charter. Uh, they've recently introduced an auditor general. Um, you know, there's no auditor general, or there's no auditor that's overlooking any of the files of any city uh, in BC. We used to have one; it was closed down. There were numerous problems with it. What Brenda is suggesting, what uh, Miss Locke is suggesting, is. Uh, certain aspects for the province to look at in the community charter that would be applied province-wide. So I I guess the biggest one would be a municipal lobbyist registry that the province would create and then presumably um, contractors and lobbyists would have to file within that system and it would would be uh, reproduced throughout uh, each of the websites of of, um, each municipality.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm sh- I'm just shocked that that's not there now, and it's and it is a tough one, and it is strengthened now, I'm reading your article. Uh, you had written, um, and this is Ms. Locke, that she had heard of broad allegations and an emphasis allegations of corruption from some members of the public in regards to land use applications. So, will she be uh, will she be um, uh, launching an investigation through uh, city staff to sort of review how these approvals occur?
6: Yeah, so that's one thing she'll look at. Um, you know. Uh, an Auditor General uh, could could do something like that, but Surrey doesn't have one. So I think what she's going to do, at least what she says she's going to do, uh, direct staff to um, look into who was behind some of these developments, uh, these applications that were approved. Um, we know that uh, the very last uh, meeting was quite extraordinary um, before the election where 50 projects uh within a 5,000-plus uh, page agenda, what Brenda Locke was saying, uh, was passed uh, by the, the former council. Mm-hmm. So I think you can investigate that. You know, um, there were some some grumblings as to who, uh, who was behind these developments and whether there's conflicts of interest.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, uh, right now, uh, in the Surrey Registry, I think in your article, you, you just have to list the people that say developers and contractors and business representatives who are engaged in meetings, but you don't say when you met them, and it's not very thorough. At the end of the day,
6: right? Yeah. So you know, as a journalist, if I want to know who's meeting with, um, uh, you know, a council member, um, none, this lobbyist list, you know, on paper, you know, it seems like it, it's a good thing, but it, it's actually completely uh, unfunctional. It doesn't do anything other than list a bunch of names. It's a, it's a vast uh, list of names and Brenda also found it uh, highly um ineffective
0: now you talked to Brad West in the article as well he's also pushing for uh a greater I guess um transparency when it comes to ownership uh and even a, f- a foreign lobbying reg- lobbying registry as well
6: yeah so um he he's being concerned I guess before about um foreign uh foreign activity uh Some of his uh, residents have have expressed concerns about uh, the People's Republic of China um, uh, committing sort of repressive actions against them, threatening um, that is government uh, from the government side, of course. Um, And he's also a proponent of the Beneficial Ownership Registry. Uh, which, uh, for land, use, for land is being introduced by the province, but federally, uh, they are now looking at a corporate beneficial ownership registry. And Brad West, uh, he's the mayor of Port Cleveland. He thinks that be highly uh, useful in when council members are faced with uh, development applications and trying to figure out who's behind these applications.
0: Graham, we've run out of time, my friend. I look forward to having you on in the near future because I think this is a longer conversation. We do want to talk to you because the financial disclosures, as you said in your article, are a patchwork. It is, as I've said, and that's my opinion, nobody else's. I think the the city hall level is the Wild West when it comes to accountability and needing greater accountability uh, and transparency when it comes to who our elected officials and our public servants are meeting and when they're meeting and why they've come to certain decisions. It's very important. I really appreciate the article. I I encourage people to check it out. It's Graham Wood, who's a reporter for Glacier Media. Graham, thanks for your time, my friend. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. Yesterday it was Diwali, the festival of light, celebrated throughout South Asia. It's, uh, it's a celebration of uh, the triumph of, triumph of good over evil. It is celebrated, as I said, throughout South Asia. So only 1.5, 1.8 billion people. Nearly one out of four people on this planet uh, celebrate Diwali. So I thought, well, that, that, those, that, those are good that's good karma. That's really good karma. And I'm going to go to the Canucks game and uh, bring that good karma. Uh, And hopefully it'll help the Vancouver Canucks Joining me now is my good friend John Jang To talk a little bit about the Vancouver Canucks And the good karma I thought I was bringing To Roger Serena yesterday How are you, John?
7: Uh, I'm doing better than most of the players in that
0: uh, locker room For the Vancouver Canucks, guys I'll tell you that much (laughs) You know, and I thought we're doing okay And then somehow uh, the third period came along And uh, up against the Carolina Hurricanes And everything fell apart, my friend
7: yeah, and this, again, it goes to show um, just how far off this Vancouver Canucks team really is from being a contender. The Carolina Hurricanes Jazz are one of the best teams in the league. They have been for a couple of different years now. They've got talent up and down the lineup. Their defense is good. Their forwards are quick, skilled. Their goaltending is solid. They were so far and ahead of the Vancouver Canucks last night that in that third period you mentioned, mm. the Canucks had three shots on goal. The Hurricanes had 15. The Hurricanes had 39 shots by the end of the game. The Canucks had 16. This was boys against men, and it just wasn't close.
0: Um, What needs to happen? I mean, you don't want to panic. It's a long season. Uh, It's a bad start. Uh, What needs to happen in your mind?
7: I think you need to shake up something um, in in a big way. And now the easiest thing that you can do if you're the general manager or if you're ownership is to, again, make another coaching change. But will that be enough? Uh, I mean, keep in mind, when Bruce Boudreaux got hired last year uh, and Travis Green was struggling, he did bring in this magic touch and the Canucks were a very good team down the stretch. But so far, it hasn't seemed to have carried over to to the beginning of this season. Jazz, I think what needs to happen is... is quite honestly, some sort of a shakeup in the roster. Uh, A lot of people say, well, you know, a lot of these young players have so much potential and so much upside. But at some point, upside fizzles out, and you're just left wanting more. So if this is the best, the Vancouver Canucks can show us with this young core, it's time to reexamine whether or not this young core is untouchable.
0: Is, is Is there any worry about heads rolling in regards to the management and executive side?
7: No, the executive team, I think, is rock solid. They just came in last year. They obviously came in replacing an executive team that's been around for a number of years with Jim Benning. So I don't think Jim Rutherford's going anywhere. I don't think Patrick Alvin is going anywhere. Uh, they really only have had one offseason to put in their vision, their their desire to craft this team the way they want it to be and the way they want it to look. And it's just not enough time. So I don't think they are really in the hot seat. I think the coach is certainly in the hot seat, and I think a lot of these players are, if they're not feeling the hot seat, then they're just not caring enough. And I think that's, again, one of the big questions. Who cares enough for this team right now? Um, You can say all the things you want to say to the media before and after the games, but... It really comes down to how well you play out on the ice, and it, again, the product just hasn't been anywhere close to being good enough.
0: I was, um, I made the mistake of, uh, of uh, clicking on the TikTok app, which I know I should have done earlier today, and somebody was ranting about the ownership, the Aquilini's, uh, mm-hmm. and it was just, and I was looking at it, going, "Come on, give me a break." I mean, the Aquilini's at this point, I mean, they're spending the money, right? I mean, the the salary, is it not like the the players' salaries right now, is it about an $80, $80 million dollar payroll?
7: Yeah, the Canucks are not a budget team, and I think you have to give credit to ownership for at least that much. There are a lot of teams that deal with an internal budget that's not even close to the real salary cap that the NHL imposes. So the Aquilini's have never been afraid of opening up the wallets and spending to to make sure they have a competitive roster. The the issue that a lot of fans have in this market, Jazz, is that ownership might have forced the issue too much and and didn't recognize or were not willing to recognize that this team – wasn't good enough to compete four or five or six years ago and they could have honestly they could have been a lot further today if they had started a rebuild the dreaded r word rebuild if they had started committing to that all these years ago and and now if you had done something like that uh, you might be seeing at least a lot more promise with better younger players in the lineup but at this point You know, you're tied to older players like Ekman Larson on that defense. You're tied to now an older forward like JT Miller, who don't get me wrong, had two goals last night. Uh, But he's going to be on the wrong side of 30 soon. And you've just signed him up for seven more years. So there is a lot of (laughs) issues with the way that this roster has been constructed.
0: Well, I mean, it it was a fun night last night uh, uh, watching the Canucks uh, until the third period. Uh, We're celebrating the Wadley and it was all well and good. But boy, we sure could use a few more wins. That's for sure. John, thank you so much, my friend.
7: You got it, Jazz, and hey, uh, my apologies to any of those Canucks fans who bought those tickets, but there is progress in some sense, Jazz. My understanding is that there were zero jerseys thrown on the ice, so at least there's that much.
0: There's that much. We'll take that. Thanks, John. You got it. Thanks, Jazz. Nine. Now, speaking of uh, changes, uh, late uh, this afternoon, Industry Minister Francois-Philippe Champagne uh, said the federal government has officially denied a request to allow Rogers wholesale access to Shaw's wireless frequencies, uh, but he did lay out conditions for a revamp proposal. Federal approval is one of the hurdles of the Rogers' uh, proposed $26 million merger with Shaw Communications, which uh, needs to be clear. Joining me now to talk about what this all means is Michael Levy, CKNW's business analyst. Hello, Michael. Good afternoon, Jeff. Good afternoon. Uh, when you heard this news, what's, what's it say to you?
4: It says to me that the government has been, or, or the regulator has been, straight up all the way along. Their, their, their major objection was taking a, a, one of the players out of the market. That would be Shaw, and uh, that would be bad for competition. And subsequently, it would not be giving the consumers any kind of a break. In fact, it just consolidates the holdings with Rogers Uh, being with TELUS and with uh, Bell. And Shaw was not part of that threesome, but certainly part of the major players. And uh, I think they were worried about the competition, and uh, they are possibly going to give them some other way to do it. But uh, they are not going to allow the cell companies to consolidate and control. The three of them control so much of the market that they control the pricing. The pricing and uh, uh in Canada is a way above and beyond many countries who are smaller than us, and of course in the u s and the major companies in Europe
0: that has been the desire by government, whether it's a federal liberal government or a federal conservative government, to to at the very least on the policy side or in some way encourage the uh, the creation preservation, and ultimately um, the growth of that fourth cell phone network to keep these other guys, Bell, Telus, and Rogers, uh, in check? Uh,
4: Jazz, absolutely. And I'm going to give you the one solution that is not palatable to government but would be palatable to most every cell phone user in Canada is open up the competition to an American provider, don't have to give them control. All you've got to do is give them a partnership that's more than the percent that they are currently allowed to hold, and you would see Canada open up. And to me, I don't see why, because it would benefit so many Canadians by bringing down our cell phone bills, but the government seems reticent, governments seem reticent to allow that offshore or American provider into the country. It would make a huge difference.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm just looking at the, the, some of the information here. The minister said he wants to see the companies offer customers in Ontario, Alberta, and BC wireless rates comparable to what they currently offer with uh, Videotron currently offers in Quebec. Because I think Videotron at one point wants to buy the Freedom Mobile uh, network, yeah. which is the Shaw network, that on average, they're paying 20% lower in Quebec already, which is phenomenal. Uh,
4: jazz has got to do with, number one, how much of the market do you control? That's fine. That's Videotron. It's a smaller part of the market. You take a look at Bell, Rogers, and TELUS, and they have a huge part of the market. So um, it, it, they, they, the size of them allows them to do this, where Videotron is playing to a captured audience. Their costs aren't as much, and of course they can do it for less. So could the three majors, if they so desired. But you have to then bring in a provider that is going to allow lower prices my idea obviously is to bring in a foreign provider uh, an american provider but there are other ways to do it and uh, i think that the government's got to take a good hard look as uh, to if they really really want lower prices what can they do what can government do what can the regulator do in order to make that happen I think just a couple of these things are distasteful to them, so they won't do
0: it. Yeah, no, I th- I think that yeah, you're absolutely right. You go to Europe, you go to Asia, uh, even go to the U.S., the rates are just lower. It, is, it boggles the mind. I mean, when I lived in Asia, I don't even want to know what I paid. I think it was literally 10 $15 a month. Now, there's lots of people there, greater density. I get that. But compared to Canada, I, my God, we pay way too much for cell phones uh, in this country. And uh, it, when it comes to cost of living, those are, those are the kind of things I think you can really drive down costs and help people with their monthly budget. So I think it's a good decision today. I just hope it leads to a much more secure fourth carrier and hopefully one day a fifth carrier because that's the only way um, these prices are going uh, to come down over the long term. Michael, thank you so much for your time. You're welcome, Jazz. Ken Sim was elected mayor of Vancouver after campaigning on a platform that prioritized public safety and affordability. The leader of the newly formed centre-right ABC Vancouver Party won by, by a commanding margin over incumbent Kennedy Stewart. Uh, the party dominated the October 15th election, with all of its candidates appearing to have won their seats on council, park board, and a school board with decisive majorities. Now, Sim, who had lost, get this, the Vancouver mayor race by 957 votes to Kennedy Stewart in 2018 has made history by becoming the city's first Chinese-Canadian mayor. Among other platform promises, ABC Vancouver and Sim have committed to reducing crime in the streets and wait times for building permits at City Hall. Joining us now to talk about that decisive victory and what went behind it, but also the transition into power as well, is Kareem Alam, the campaign manager for ABC Vancouver. Kareem, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, John. So how is transition going? I, I, you know, winning the election is one thing, and then it's not like you get days off. You immediately start talking about transitioning and, and taking hold on, on the levers of power at City Hall. How is that going?
2: It's been going incredibly well. Uh, we got to work with our first transition meeting the day after the election. Uh, uh, the committee is co-chaired by uh, former Surrey Mayor Diane Watts, uh, another big city mayor who uh, had a lot of Uh, really neat, interesting ideas about how she, uh, got a handle on public safety issues in her community. Uh, community also includes Tung Chan, a former, uh, city councilor in the city of Vancouver, and then a former, uh, deputy manager, deputy city manager named James Ridge, who's also been advising us on how best we can get our platform. 94-point platform implemented over the course of the next four years. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, In the issue of transition, for those who don't follow politics uh, closely, how important is transition and how does the process of transition actually work?
2: It's extremely important. Uh, uh, People expect that the government continues to move along the day after an election occurs. And uh, I want to acknowledge Mayor Kennedy Stewart has uh, been very supportive of, of Uh, getting us the documents and getting the briefings and the information that we need to be able to get to work on day one. But it's also about making sure that those contacts at senior levels of government are happening. The team have been engaged with conversations with federal ministers and making sure that those relationships are still intact, as well as the provincial government. Uh, We've been meeting with the premier's office, the prime minister's office, uh, staff, as well as uh, several different ministers in our priority area. And those meetings have been going very, very positive. Uh,
0: I want to step back a little bit. Um, you know, a lot happens in an election campaign, just not just in the the final sort of four weeks, but it takes months to put um, a plan together, uh, ideas uh, in a a, a policy document to say, look, this is what we stand for, this is what we hope to accomplish. Talk to me a little bit, how did you come with the idea? And this is just one of them, obviously, but the one that I think most people have been paying attention to is the 100 police officers and 100 mental health nurses. Uh, Give us a sense of background as to how that sort of came, how you came up with that and how you build that policy.
2: Yeah, so the 100 police officers, 100 mental health nurses is really a reflection of what we already do in the city of Vancouver. Since 1978, we've had a partnership between Vancouver Coastal Health, which runs our hospital system, and the VPD, partnering in a program called car Seven, where they pair one mental health nurse and a police officer. But the relationship doesn't end there between Coastal Health and the VPD. It goes all the way down where the ratios go from one to one police officer to one police officer to four nurses in our ACT program, one to eight and all the way down. Um, And this establishes a continuum of care uh, in frontline services for the city. That program has been enormously successful and all we said is ABC, let's make it bigger. This is the kind of uh, uh, programming that we need to be able to start to address some of the street disorder that we've been seeing. Compassionate, health led, police protected, frontline services. That's what we've been talking
0: about. Do you recall who came up with the idea to come up with the hundred nurses, hundred police? Though I mean, I, I get the the what you've been doing, but to some to, to to convince people to put that on a piece of paper with a with policy ideas, do you recall how that came to fruition?
2: Yeah. So uh, the start about a year and a half ago, uh, Vancouver Coastal Health said here, Vancouver, we're going to give you ten mental health nurses. But the city of Vancouver, for whatever reason, couldn't come up with the resources for ten police officers to match that program. So the funding for those nurses went away. And at that point there's from observers of these programs, they're really upset when we did our analysis, uh, we identified a few things. Number one uh, in the city's own report and the police department, police board's own report, they expect that there are about 60 police officers short uh, of being able to fulfill the 2021 service levels. Well, we're beyond 2021 at this point. So as we sort of looked at the range of resources, we were sort of in the range of 90 to 110 police officers over the course of till 2026. And we're probably in the range of a hundred mental health nurses, social workers uh, over the course of the next four years. So the hundred, hundred uh, uh, the numbers were so close enough to the hundred, hundred was just easier to communicate um, uh, with those numbers, but it's all in that range. And it's all in effect uh, what all the reporting has, has led up to.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious, uh, When you watched everything that's been transpiring at Vancouver City Hall, thats you know, uh, paper cup fees, parking tax, coyotes in in, in Stanley Park, there's a myriad of issues that are covered every single day at Vancouver City Hall. Um, What are the overarching sort of themes that convince you this is the direction we need to go and to build our team around? And how how long did it take you to put that sort of um, broad philosophy to take on Kennedy? So how long did it take you to put all that together?
2: I I think, I think we quickly realized early on that there definitely was an appetite for change. Um, And when we started asking ourselves, what is it that people want? uh, What we realized is people just want a government that's gonna be focused on making decisions in a science evidence-based way um, that was gonna be about making people's lives better, uh, making people's lives more affordable. And some of these fees that have been piled on haven't been doing that. Some of the decisions that we've been making um, uh, hasn't been leading to better public safety. Uh, so we just went out and engaged with experts. We went out and engaged with moms and dads. We went out and engaged with community leaders, and really, really received that information well. Uh, and we're able to use that to compile a platform. And I think that platform resonated.
0: Who was your core voter? someone said, well, it's the first time the right has taken control of city hall. But when I look at your policies, one could argue. Uh, You know, there's other parties that were further to your right. Uh, Some could look at team in regards to some of their policies. You could look at the NPA as well. I mean, did you like who was your voter you're going after? Is it a federal liberal voter you were going to after a progressive conservative? Give me a sense of what your typical voter looks like.
2: Yeah, I think what we wanted to do was we wanted to create a new party that was free of any federal or provincial affiliations, And we wanted to target all voters. Every voter in the city has priorities around garbage pickup, and that's not a left or right issue. Every every voter had their complaints about potholes and uneven sidewalks and a myriad of other issues, and those aren't left or right issues. Um, So we went out to those communities uh, uh, and really received that information in a way that I I felt and, and, and communicated in a way that was devoid of any. Uh, ideological backing. It was just about making Vancouver a better city, better run. No more 34-hour marathon council meetings. And of course, I'm exaggerating that number. But as people were just sitting there and watching the city hall and the city fall apart and going on TV and watching council meetings, uh, what was happening in the city wasn't being reflected in what was happening in the council meetings.
0: Hmm. Well, I know you've got uh, a lot uh, ahead of you uh, as a, a campaign manager, but also your team, your elected officials got a lot on their plate on the city hall level, the park board level, uh, and, uh, and many others, uh, you know, changes that have, to, that have to be made moving forward and the school trustee level, of course, as well. I want to thank you for your time and look forward to having you on the show uh, in the near future. Thanks so much, Kareem.
2: Thank you so much, Jeff Have a great day.
0: Uh, We knew who, as I said, won the mayoralty race in Vancouver. It's a little different in other parts of the province. The wonderful world of politics, of course, can be strange and funny at times. Take the village of Canal Flats. For example, they had a tie in the mayoral mayoral vote in the most recent election. And in order to figure out who would be the next mayor, the winning name was drawn from a hat. For more on this story, we bring our show contributor, John Jang.
7: There is a pivotal moment in Harry Potter where it must be determined which Hogwarts house Harry is going to be a part of during his seven years at the school. Needless to say, it's a huge moment for each wizard and witch. After all, this is going to set up the man or woman they would eventually become. But instead of allowing each person to pick the house they want, even in the magical world of Hogwarts, they leave it up to the power of the hat.
4: Hmm, difficult, very
2: difficult. Plenty of courage, I see. Not a bad mind, either. There's talent, oh yes. And a thirst to prove yourself. But where to put you? Not Slytherin, not Slytherin. Not Slytherin, eh? Are you sure? You could be great, you know. It's all here, in your head and Slytherin will help you on the way to greatness, there's no doubt about that, no? Well, if you're sure, better be Gryffindor!
7: A big win for Gryffindor and a big win for Harry. But I'm here to remind you that sometimes life is stranger than fiction. For this story, we take you to Canal Flats.
3: The campaign is over and the votes have been cast. But Doug McCutcheon is going to have to wait a little while longer to find out whether he's done enough to secure the top job in Canal Flats.
5: Over 300 people voted and so it just seemed to be... uh, uh, Totally unusual.
3: The community he's hoping to serve can barely believe it. It's shocking, actually. It was quite a surprise. The small village located 26 kilometers south of Fairmont Hot Springs has an estimated 661 eligible voters. 318 cast a ballot in last weekend's election. That's a turnout of more than 48%. But in a rare twist, the results for mayor were split right down the middle
1: two spoiled ballots and the count was hundred and fifty six at the end for each
3: according to the local government act section 149 requires a judicial recount in provincial court within 13 days of the election if there is still a tie the results will be determined by a draw
1: the name will be drawn out of a box and the winner declared right there
7: on Monday it was declared that Mark Doherty would become the mayor elect of Canal Flats but this strange and very rare process begs the question was there another way think about this HBO's Game of Thrones popularized one very specific method why will let the gods decide my fate
4: i demand a trial by combat
7: Of course, this is set in a medieval fantasy world with dragons and a very high rate of murder, so this is probably not the road we'd like to go down. So why not something less physical and perhaps more intellectual, like a spelling bee? K-N-A-I-D-E-L, K-N-A-I-D-E-L,
1: K-N-A-I-D-E-L, 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 K-N-A-I-D-E-L,
7: K-N-A-I-D-E-L, 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 K-N-A-I-D-E- <laughs> Or what about sending the each contestant to the kitchen for a good old cook-off? We could hire someone like Gordon Ramsay to determine the winner. What could possibly go wrong?
4: Let's start off with the blue team. What the f- are they?
2: Unfortunately. It looks like a pierogi. It's Russian, Jeff. Russian.
6: God, they're all f- same. You've got nothing in 20 minutes done. F-
7: Disaster.
6: Piss off.
7: Admittedly, not the most family-friendly method to figure out the winner. In the end, the people of Canal Flats probably won't care or even mind that a sorting hat determined who's going to be the next mayor. But could you imagine if this had happened in the city of Vancouver? Now that I mention it, actually, I kind of wish it did happen in the city of Vancouver. Now that would be exciting. Back to you, Jazz.